we're in a sermon series called Fallout. We are talking about the consequences of doing what's right in your own eyes, doing what you want to do, doing what your heart tells you, rather than doing what God uh, has said in his word and what God says to you in the spirit. We're talking about Samson. We're going to talk today a little bit about David because both of these men, there are many others in the Bible, but both of these men, perfect examples of tremendous fallout in their life because they chose to go their own way. They chose to follow their heart. They chose to do what they wanted to do. So we're in the book of Judges, and you're going to need your Bible today. So if you have your Bible on your phone or you have it on your iPad or whatever you got there with you, you're going to need that. And some of you may actually have a printed Bible. Boy, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Uh, somebody um, had their Bible out by the coffee shop this morning, and it was tattered. And I looked at her. I said, I love a, a tattered Bible. That tells me you've been in there and you've been reading it. She showed me a note in the front that her mom had written her powerful, powerful note. So, yeah, we still got Bibles that you actually open up, and they have, like, pages in the middle. So you're going to need that today because um, we got a lot of scriptures we're going to cover, and uh, we don't, we're, they're not going to all be on the screen, okay? Judges 13.5 tells us that Samson was a Nazarite, and we talked about this last week, so I won't spend a lot of time there, but being a Nazarite meant that you were different, you were sanctified, you were set apart, separated for the explicit purposes of God. Samson, we, did, we know uh, from last week, and you probably knew before I talked about it last week, was a man who was at one time in his life very strong spiritually, got away from God, came back to God right at the end of his life. He uh, was very strong mentally, very strong physically. The story of Samson reminds us, as I told you last week, that there are three people sitting in your chair, three people standing behind this stand right now. The person you are, the person you could be for God, and the person you could become if you take your eyes off of God. What led to Samson's devastating end? Now, we're going to discover, and if you know anything about the Bible and you know anything about the story of Samson, you know he ends in victory, in a sense, but his ending of his life is very devastating. His life ends, he, he is a man of faith when he dies. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, uh, as we're going through that hall of fame of faith there in Hebrews 11, that Samson was a man of great faith. So we know Samson died a man of God. And we expect to meet Samson when we get to heaven. And we're so glad that um, God remembered Samson for his faith and not for his failures. Anybody happy about that? Thank goodness for that, and uh, that includes all of us. So last week we talked about one of the things he did that messed him up, that got him off track and caused him to die uh, later at the end of his life in devastation. And that was that he listened to the wrong people. And that really, really applies to us today. Instead of listening to his godly parents, instead of consulting with God, instead of consulting the scriptures, the Bible says in Judges he did what was right in his own eyes and allowed himself to be influenced by the enemies of Israel. He allowed himself to be influenced by the enemies of God. Number two, 
and that's what we're going to talk about today. This picks up today's message. He redefined his purpose for life, his life purpose. He redefined it. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for me. You remember a few weeks ago, we went to the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was going, God, I, I can't speak. I, I'm young, and I'm just a child, and, and I can't speak. I can't be a great prophet for you. I, I can't do great things for you. And you remember that God came to him and said, Say not, I am a child. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I mean, he's got a plan for us. He's got a plan. He's got a plan for your life. And Samson had uh, a plan. He knew what that plan was. There was Samson didn't get off track because he wasn't clear about his, God's plan for his life. That isn't why he got off track. He got off track because he gave in to his desires. He gave in to the lust of his flesh. The Bible talks about the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. And so he followed his heart. And it got him away from God. What was his purpose? What was Samson's purpose? You know what? It's right there in the Bible, clear as a bell. And it says that Samson's purpose was to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But instead of delivering Israel from the Philistines, Samuel actually partied with the Philistines. He fellowshiped with them. They were the enemy, and he fraternized with the enemy. So not only did he listen to the wrong people, but he redefined God's purpose for his life. Or actually, in reality, he abandoned God's purpose for his life. He abandoned God's purpose. Number three, he compromised his purity. He compromised his purity. This man, Samson, chosen by God to be a hero, really a superhero of Israel, begins fooling around, first of all, with a harlot that is not named, and later with a harlot that is named, and that harlot's name was Delilah. Exactly. And so he compromised his purity, and um, sin that starts small doesn't stay small. And you know what? Most of the time, it starts small. Sin starts small. But remember this, it never, ever stays small. His mother had prayed for him. His father had given him to God. He was a Nazarite. He was separated by God for a specific purpose. And now here he is, sleeping around with women he isn't married to sleeping around with women who have a reputation for leading men in the wrong direction. The deeper people go into sin, this is important, the deeper people go into sin, the more blind they become to its consequences. Because when you begin to go away from God, when you begin to drift away from God, when you begin to dabble in sin, the reason you go deeper into it is because in order to live with yourself as a believer while that sin is going on, you have to justify it. You have to justify it because the Holy Spirit is in there. You know, the Holy Spirit's like a, like a referee in a basketball game. When you step out of bounds and he's inside you, he blows the whistle, doesn't he? But see, 
you want that whistle to go away. So the way you get that whistle noise to go away and the way you get that conviction to go away and the way you get those bad feelings of sorrow and guilt to go away is you begin to explain why you're doing what you're doing. You begin to explain it. You begin to give reasons. You begin to even find scriptures that help you remain in that sin. But you know what? When people are doing that, they still know it's sin. They know God still knows it's sin. But this is how we are, and this is what we do, and this is how we handle our sin often. You say, Pastor, you sound like uh, you're speaking from experience. Sure, absolutely. I've had sin in my life, and I didn't want to give it up, so I started justifying it, saying why I'd done it. But it always comes down, if you're a person of God, if you're a person of prayer, if you're a person who really loves God, you can't stay there. Amen? You cannot live there. Look what it says in Proverbs. I love how the Bible is just so true, so real. Now, that, this scripture isn't going to come up on the screen, so you're going to need your Bible on this one. And I think this is from the message. I think I'm reading this out of the message. Um, Proverbs 5, verse 3. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. You know, the Bible doesn't say, if you sin, you're going to be miserable. The Bible says the what of sin? The pleasure of sin. The Bible tells us sin can be very, very pleasurable, but it's just like when Bojangles has eight pieces of chicken and four biscuits for $10. You say, how is it like that? It's for a limited time. <laughs> so when you see two Big Macs for $2, you better go for it. When you see eight pieces, four biscuits, $10, go for it because it is for a... And when you see it, you're going to feel some pleasure maybe, but it's for a... For a limited time. The Bible says the pleasure of sin for a limited time, <laughs> for a season, for a season. So look what it says in Proverbs 5, 3 through 6. I hope you had time to get your place in your Bible there. Proverbs 5, 3 through 6. I love this. The lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. I mean, you would expect the Bible to say the lips of a seductive woman are bitter. But see, that wouldn't be true because in that moment, y'all with me? At the beginning, oh so sweet. All sin is like that. All sin is like that. At the beginning, everybody say oh so sweet. Pleasure. How long? Limited time. I don't know why I'm saying it like that. It just feels good to say it like that. <clears throat> the lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. Her words are oh so smooth. And ladies, we've got you picking on you, but there are seductive men in this world too. But it won't be long. There it is. <laughs> so let's go back. The lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet, and her words are oh so smooth. Next sentence. But it won't be long 
before she's gravel in your mouth, a pain in your gut, and a wound in your heart. Boom! She is dancing around the primrose path to death. And she's got you dancing with her. Now let's don't, let's don't just take women seducing men. Men do this too. But let's don't even take the whole seducing and the whole lustful sexual thing here. This is all sin. Y'all with me? It dances around the primrose path to death. It's dancing and the... Everything looks flowery and beautiful and we're happy and we're dancing and we're living in sin and that path's going to death. I mean, the, everybody talks about, you know, I don't read the message because, you know, it's too seeker-friendly. Well, evidently you haven't read this next verse. She's headed straight for hell and taking you with her. Yes. That's amen here at the bridge. Booyah. She hasn't a clue about real life, and I noticed there that that's capital R, capital E, L, and that's talking about life in God, because the only real life is life in God. The only real life is a life connected with God through the person of his son, who is also God, Jesus Christ. Amen? This, this, this luring, it says she here, it's talking about women luring men, but this is all sin. So sin has not got a clue, or the person who's in sin, who's trying to lure you into sin, has no clue. They don't know God, so they don't even know what real life is. And he goes on about who she doesn't know, have a clue about real life. She doesn't have a clue about who she is. You know, unbelievers don't even know who they are. They are creations of God. And God has a purpose in their life. Listen, when you're riding down the road and you're in the roughest parts of town and you see that half-drunk person or you see that person who's laying on the side of the road because they had a bad night or you see people that you know are looking for drugs or selling drugs or whatever and you ride by and you see all that and you think, oh, that's disgusting, that's disgusting. Let me tell you what that is. That's a person for which Jesus died. They don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand where they're going. And if they do, they try not to think about it. Let's go from Proverbs 5. Let's go to the next chapter, Proverbs 6, and look at verse 32 and 33. The one who commits adultery, and this is picking on you ladies again here, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. <laughs> yeah. He would destroy himself. He who would destroy himself does it. In other words, a person who is seeking to destroy themselves, they are the ones who engage in this kind of behavior because that's where it leads to. You know, <clears throat> it's interesting being a pastor and being a 58-year-old pastor. <laughs> Um, in uh, 2015 in a church that is trying to be everything to everybody. We want, to, we, want a, we want the unbeliever to come here and feel loved. We want the believer to come here and grow. Um, but you know, as you, 
as, as you try to be the church God wants you to be, um, people misunderstand when you're very, very, very loving and you're, you're very, very accepting. When you accept them, no matter what lifestyle they're living, they misunderstand sometimes and think you also accept the lifestyle they're living. Can I just clear something up for you? We love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. We will love you. But I'm going to tell you one of the ways we're going to love you. If you're heading in the wrong direction, we're going to tell you. Somebody said that um, there was a rumor on base about the bridge that we had had somebody who was in the Air Force who was serving in our church, and we found out they were living a particular lifestyle. We had to approach them about that lifestyle, and we had to ask them to step down from a particular position at our church because we didn't realize they were living that lifestyle. And actually, we had asked them about it, and they had told us that they weren't living that lifestyle and that they were good. And then through the grapevine, can I preach like this? And through the grapevine, we discovered that. Well, we went to that person very, very, very lovingly and said, if you're living that lifestyle, you can't serve in that role. And so somebody wrote this week, oh, there's a rumor that the bridge asked somebody to step down because they were living this lifestyle. Can I just clear that up for you? Not a rumor. Not a rumor. Now, I'm not... I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but let me just clear that up for you. It ain't a rumor. So I'm through that Southern. I will make sure I was communicating with my Southern folks there. It's not a rumor. It's the truth. Now, I don't even know this person, I don't think. I don't think I've met them. But if that person will let us help them, we will do everything we can to get them out of that lifestyle and into a lifestyle that lines up with the Word of God. And when they do, we'll put them right back up on the stage. But you can't be, and you say, well, I know people who aren't believers who, who serve in different, yeah, but those are very specific areas that we have opened up the door for people who haven't believed yet to serve in the parking lot or serve feeding the hungry or serve in some other ways. But you can't be a person who's teaching or leading or influencing. Does that make sense? Can, I, can we just be clear about that? You say, well, I've heard this. That. Well, quit. don't worry about it anymore. We're, we are 100% against sin, and we are 100% for people. Amen. We love people. We love people. Man. He first loved me. I wouldn't be here today if he didn't love me in spite of my sin. We're going to love you in spite of your sin. But we're not going to just say your sin's okay. That isn't going to help you. And when I sin, for goodness sakes, don't come to me and go, he's the pastor. Since he's the pastor, let's tell him his sin's okay. If you love me, you won't tell me my sin's okay. But you will get with me and say, Pastor, we love you and we love you so much. You've got to stop doing that. You need some counseling. You need to go to church somewhere for a while. <laughs> Are y'all with me? Let me just clarify. We, you won't find a church anywhere in this community that will go out of their way to love you. But I'm telling you something. Don't misunderstand this. We 
believe God's word. And we believe when God said, don't do something, he wasn't depriving us of some pleasure. He was saying, that will hurt you if you do that. So don't do that. And then when God said, go do something, we know that he told us to do something because that would be good for us. And if we don't do what he said to do, are y'all with me? Y'all stand with me? If you don't do what he said to do, which is the sin of omission, the sin of commission is when you do something wrong. The sin of omission is when he told you to do something right and you said no. You omitted that. You wouldn't do it. So when he says do it or he says don't do it in his word, it's for your good. It's for your good. You say, well, I read on the internet that what Jesus meant. Mm-hmm. You can read anything on the internet. Y'all might have read where I actually pulled for Carolina. That did not happen. <laughs> Somebody hacked my wall. Be careful what you hear on the internet. Mm, I got to hurry. <clears throat> look, look at this. Look at this. Now, we're in Proverbs 6. Y'all got your Bible still because it's not on the screen. So. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Who would say amen to that? He who would destroy himself does it. If you want to destroy yourself, go for it, baby. Go for it. Go for your sin. If you want to destroy yourself, look at verse 33. Wounds and disgrace he will find. And his reproach will not be blotted out. Now, you're probably going, whoa, time out. His sin will not be forgiven? Nope, nope, nope. That's not what that means. What that means is once you, once you go there, the sin can be forgiven. God can forgive. But the reproach of that sin may affect you the rest of your life. That's one of the ways God prevents us from doing it again. What do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> how many great preachers have we seen of big churches or big ministries fall into sin and then they repent and they get right with God and they repent and they make everything right, but that reproach, is it still there on them? Absolutely. Absolutely true. If he ever gets forgiveness, the reproach is there. Adultery is a sin like no other sin. Now, now, let me, let me just say this. I'll, I'll give it to you, and then I'll move on because I've got to hurry. <clears throat> All sin is the same. If I gossip about you today, this afternoon, or if I commit adultery this afternoon, both of them are sin, and they're equal. But how many of you know that the sin of adultery is deeper it affects us deeper. It is more wounding. It has a deeper impact on our lives. Sin is sin. All sin is the same. But some sins, sexual sins, affect us deeper than other sins. Just as easily forgiven as gossip, but it will affect you deeper. The reproach will stay with you longer. So Samson is a man that, number one, listened to the wrong people. Number two, he redefined God's purpose for his life. Actually, he abandoned God's purpose for his life. Number three, he compromised his purity 
And uh, number four, um, he didn't value his gift. He had a gift and he didn't value it. I mean, that strength, that gift of strength, that mental gift he had to be witty and, and play on words and turn a phrase and riddles, all that came from God, but he didn't use it for God. Let me tell you how graceful God is. Let me tell you how loving and graceful and tender God is. God will give you an awesome gift that is to be used in his kingdom. Now, I don't know what you're gifted at. You may be a great salesman. You may be a great CEO. You may be a great lawyer, a great doctor. You may, be a, you, may, whatever, you may be a great mechanic. You may be a great whatever. But there is a way that God intended that gift to be used to build his kingdom. Now, listen. He is so graceful, he will let you use that gift that is really to build his kingdom. He will let you use that gift at the same time to make some money for your family. Isn't that a good God? I mean, he could go, no, 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 no. Don't you dare use your gift of communication in sales. You just always use your gift of communication only in talking about me. You can't use it in sales. See, God doesn't do that. God gives you this awesome gift, so you're really, really great at sales. But listen, if you're that good at convincing and influencing people to make decisions, how many of you know he wants you to use that to get people to make decisions for God? Yes. Yes. So he devalued his gift. He lays his head in the lap of Delilah and through a series of games, he's playing games and in a series of foolish games and foolishness and this, slumbering, not being alert. When, when he got his hair cut off and lost his strength, what was he doing? Sleeping, like some of y'all right now. He was sleeping. He was sleeping, he was slumbering and Right before he went to sleep, he revealed to Delilah the symbol of his strength as she has his head shaved. So I, I gotta tell you, I see I see Samson's sin really being birthed the same way David's sin was birthed, and that is laziness. You say, Well, David committed sin with Bathsheba, and that right there's your sin. No, but see. Before he committed sin with Bathsheba, he sent his soldiers into battle. But they had been so successful in all the other battles, he went, I'm just going to stay home for this one. Success can knock you down. Blessing on your life, financial blessing, blessing in your job, success. I'm telling you right now, not many people can handle it without falling flat on their face. So he had had victory after victory after victory. So he says, you know what? You guys go ahead, <clears throat> fight the battle. I'm talking about David now. You guys go ahead and fight the battle. I'm going to get the grill out. I start to say pork chops, but I'm sure he didn't have pork chops. So, y'all with me? So I'm going to get the grill out. I'm going to grill up some leg of lamb, and you guys just go fight this battle and just come back and tell me how awesome you were. Arrogance. Pride, lazy, should have been with his soldiers in battle. Matter of fact, if he'd been with his soldiers in battle, he would have never seen Bathsheba bathing. But he was grilling. He looks over, and this woman's taking a bath on her back deck. So he's the king. He can have anything he wants. He sends for her. 
So laziness turns to lust. Because if he hadn't have been lazy, he wouldn't have been in a position to be lustful. Anybody listening to me preaching today? Laziness led to lust, and lust led to adultery because he called her unto himself and lay with her and even had a child with her. And adultery led to what? Murder. Because he had to get rid of her husband then. So he said, and Uriah was one of his best men. Uriah was totally sold out to David. And one of his best men in his, in his battalion, in his army. And he told Joab, his head general, he said, I want you to take Uriah to the hottest line of battle where the bullets are flying. Well, not bullets, but the arrows and spears and stuff and swords are, you know, Braveheart. I want you to take him to the hottest line of battle and I want all you guys to just run away from him and leave him right there by himself. You know what? David could have just killed him himself and saved a lot of trouble for a lot of people because David murdered Uriah. <clears throat> See, that's the message today. Sin always starts out little, small, insignificant. And then if you've got somebody in your life who really, really loves you, or you've got a pastor who really, really, really preaches the straight-up Word of God, and then he calls you out, you're like, hey, it's none of your business. It's no big deal. Yeah, we know it's no big deal right now, but it's going to be a big deal. It's going toward a big deal. You look at a practice you're about to engage in, not for what it is right then, but where is it going to take you? Where is it going to lead you? Can I read from Proverbs 24? I've already read from Proverbs twice, so I'm pretty sure I can. So Proverbs 24, go to Proverbs 24, and look at verse 30. And this is just talking about, I'm going to just use a word we use in the South, just an old sorry person. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> You ever look at, you ever, you ever remember growing up in the South, you look and say, he's sorry. That guy right there is sorry. <laughs> what we meant by that was he's lazy. Wouldn't work. So we're going to read about a lazy person here. Listen to this, listen to this. I think it's the message. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. One day, I walked by the field of an old lazy bones. This is your Bible. One day I walked by the field of an old lazy bones and then passed the vineyard of a lout. Y'all know what a lout is. There's a new word for, he's sorry. Down here in the south you won't hear us say he's a lout, but I might add that to my vernacular. One day I walked by the field of an old lazy bones and then passed by the vineyard or the really, the crop, the crop or, or, or the field of a lout. Now, I want you to think about your spiritual life. I want, to think, I want you to think about, while I'm talking about this, am I on top of things spiritually? See, you, you can't be lazy about your job or you'll lose your job. You can't be lazy about your relationship with God or you will drift away from him and reach out to touch him and he won't be there. You've got to be on top of it. You've got to know where you are in your walk with God. And when you drift away, you've got to admit it. You've got to own it. And you've got to say, man, I've got to come back. I can't be here. It's dangerous to be here. I've got to come back and get intimate with God again. And you've got to allow people in your life, not just me on Sunday morning, but you've got to allow people in your life to speak that to you. 
So he says, I walked by the field of a lazy bones, passed by the vineyard of a lout. They were overgrown with weeds, thick with thistles, briars. All the fences were broken down. I took a long look and pondered what I saw. Listen to this. And the fields of this lazy person preached me a sermon and I listened. Booyah. A nap here, a nap there. And that's not preaching against naps, thank God. (laughs) It's just saying don't nap all the time. Don't be lazy all the time. A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? This is in your Bible. That's the question's in the Bible. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life with poverty as your permanent house guest. You say, well, that sounds like it's talking about money. Well, you could tie it into that and teach that, but it's also talking about spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty. When you don't, when you, listen, your, your spiritual life is like a garden. If you want to be strong and you want your spiritual life producing fruit every day, you got to get out there and work that garden every day. Now, I'm counting on you all. It's coming in the spring. I'm counting on y'all working your gardens. Because I don't have one and I want stuff from your gardens. I, don't, I love walking around with cartons of eggs because my folks got chickens. I will take squash, string beans. I'll take, and y'all, don't be lazy. Because I need that stuff. Because of Samson's laziness. Because of Samson's lack of soberness, lack of intentionality. you got to be intentional about being a strong man of God, a strong woman of God. How many times have I said it? You don't drift towards spiritual growth. You drift away. Has God given, his God-given gift of strength is now gone. So Delilah begins to taunt him. And poke him to see what he would do. Here's what he did. He woke out of his sleep. And she said, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And here's what Samson said. Samson said, no big deal. No problem. I'll go out as I have at other times. I'll shake myself. God will give me strength. Just like before. And I'll defeat the enemy. Nothing to worry about here. Nothing to see here. Arrogance. But the writer Samuel penned some of the saddest words you will ever read in the Bible when he wrote in Judges 16, 20, the last part of verse 20. He said, but what Samson did not know is that the Lord had departed from him. He didn't know it. Mary and Joseph walked two days and turned around and said, where's Jesus? And they said, oh, he's, he's, maybe he's back a couple of, I think I saw him back in the line, maybe. So they turned around and all of a sudden they, you know that feeling? Have you ever had that feeling when your kids, you're at some amusement park or you're in Walmart or Target or somewhere and 
all of a sudden you don't, you can't find your, you remember that, you know that freaky, who's had that freaky feeling? You know, my kids, when they would run away, I'd start praying for whoever it was found them. God, (laughs) be with them. (laughs) But you know that feeling, that's terrible feeling. And Mary and Joseph turn around and Jesus is gone. And they go back and he's teaching in the temple. And that's when he was 12 years old. And he looked at his mom and dad, earthly mom and dad, and said, no, you not, that I must be about my father's business. But here's the deal. Jesus wasn't with them, and they didn't know it. God wasn't with Samson anymore, and Samson didn't know it. You can pretend, 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 pretend all you want to, but one day when the battle is really on, you're going to reach out there for God. and He's not going to be there. He listened to the wrong people. He redefined God's purpose for his life. He compromised his purity. He didn't value his gift. What was the fallout of all of that? What was the fallout for Samson as he allowed this sin to work its way into his life? The Bible says, then the Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes and they brought him down. There's that word again. They brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze chains. And they put him at the grinder in the prison. They grind the grain. What does fallout from sin look like for us? What are some things we will experience if we get away from God and if we begin to sin and go our own way and do our own thing? I want you to go with me in your Bible, and I'm closing right here. I want you to go to Psalm 51. Because Psalm 51 is the, is the prayer David prayed right after he sinned with Bathsheba. And then Nathan came to him. That's the first time you to man was ever said. Because Nathan told this story about this guy, rich guy, who stole something from a poor guy. And he said, he told David this story. And David was angry. How many of you know when you're living in sin yourself, you're real judgmental about everybody else? One of the best ways for us to know when you're sinning is you get real judgmental about everybody else's sin. David stands up. He goes, I'll tell you, anybody would do that. You know, to be able to pay back, kill the guy. I mean, he's just putting out all this bitterness on this guy who cheated this poor guy in Nathan's story. And Nathan looked at him and said, you the man. Because you took Uriah's wife and you could have had any woman you wanted. You're the king and you took Uriah's one wife. You know, back in the Old Testament, under that, I mean, he had wives. God bless him. One preacher got really excited and he said, and David had, he was going to say concubines. He said, David had a bunch of cucumber vines and Isn't that amazing? Isn't it it amazing, the human nature? What you can have. I want what I can't have. Our nature says, don't don't be satisfied with what God's given you. Want something you can't have. Go after something you can't have. That's our nature, baby. 
So when David sinned and, and uh, Nathan comes and goes, you the man, and now David is just crushed. He accepts his sin. He owns his sin. He falls on his face before God. And here's the prayer in Psalm 51, and I'm going to kind of break it up for you because I want you to see his suffering. I want you to see the fallout. Y'all with me? Fallout. I want you to see the fallout of sin. Number one, when you sin and you own it, you feel dirty. Because look what David says in verse 2 of Psalm 51, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. It's just another word for sin. And cleanse me from my sin. Then we go down to verse 7. He says the same thing. Purge me with hyssop. And that hyssop has to do with the dipping of the hyssop in the blood and sprinkling on the Ark of the Covenant. And it's a picture of the blood of Jesus and and. Uh, only the blood can cleanse. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so that's tied in. That's a good study right there. If you want to study that verse a little bit, what hyssop was and how it was used with the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be what? Clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Why is David saying this? Because he feels dirty. Verse 10, create a what? Clean heart in me, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. So number one, there's a sense of being unclean. Number two, just can't escape the constant awareness of your sin. Can't escape the constant reality of your sin. Listen, when you sin and you won't repent, it's going to be right there. Every time you try to do something, every time you try to sound spiritual, every time you try to worship, every time you try, it's going to be right there in your face. You say, Pastor, you sound like you got some experience. Oh, I do. I do. Look what it says in verse uh, 3, last part of that verse. My sin is always before me. David said, from the time I sinned with Bathsheba and killed her husband and did all of that, David said, I want you to know from that day to this day, that sin has been right in my face. That's why he got bitter and angry and judgmental. The next thing that happens is a loss of joy and addition of pain. When you sin, there's going to be a loss of joy in your life and there's going to be an addition of pain in your life. Let's read it. In verse 8, he says, make me to hear joy. Why would he pray for joy? Because he hadn't had any. Make me to hear gladness. Why did he pray for gladness? Because he hadn't had any. And then he says, Lord, I want joy and gladness so that the bones you have broken may rejoice. You say, man, God broke David's bones? No, but it felt like it. He was talking about the pain, the literal physical pain that you can feel when you are not right, when you're in sin and you're not right. I don't know where you all feel it, but when I sin, when I do wrong, and I haven't repented of it, and I'm trying to justify it and tell everybody why I did it, and I'm, I get this knot right here, and it hurts. And until I repent and get right with God, that muscle won't relax. But the minute I repent, the minute I own my sin, the minute I say, God, that was wrong, I own that. And I might have to go to a person and say something to them, and I have many, many times. Only then will that muscle relax, and I not feel like i got a cramp right here. And then verse 12, he 
backs it up. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why would he be praying for joy? Because he hadn't had any. He hadn't had any joy. The next thing was, when you sin, there is a sense of isolation from God. A sense of isolation from God. In verse 11, we're in Psalm 51. He says, Lord, do not cast me away from your presence. I mean, that just makes you want to weep, don't it? Because i got to tell you, man, there is nothing more important in my life than feeling God near to me. And he says, Lord, don't cast me away from your presence. Lord, do not, I pray, oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The next thing he experiences is an inability to declare God's truth. And I could really tie that in with another one I've got here about worship. But you know what? And I'll just say that as a preacher. If you're a Bible teacher or a preacher, you lead a small group and you got sin in your life, you can't get up and preach. You can't get up and teach. You can't get up and, and minister when you got something in your life that needs to be dealt with. He says in verse 17, uh, verse 13, he says, Then when you forgive me, I'll be able to teach transgressors your ways, and I'll be able to talk to sinners, and they'll be converted to you. He said, But right now in my sin, I can't do it. I can't. Every time I try to do it, I'm no good at it. Every time I try to do it now, nothing happens. There's no fruit because I won't own this sin. Am I making sense to you all this morning? I won't own this. I, I won't own the sin. So when I operate in my gift of teaching or I operate in my gift of preaching, it has no effect. That's why, boy, you know, the Bible talks about being mistreating your wife. And I've mistreated Miss Millie and uh, thought I could go ahead and preach, you know, thought I could go ahead and teach, thought I could go ahead and get up on a Sunday morning after I'd been a jerk on Saturday. And boy, I can't do it. I've gone in on Sunday morning, woke her up, and gone, baby, baby, I got to preach in just a minute. Baby, you wait. I got to preach, and I was a jerk yesterday. You forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Don't wake me up again. Don't wake me up again like this. Man, I had to get it right. I had to get it right. There's overwhelming guilt when you won't confess your sin. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Whose blood? Whose blood did David shed? Uriah. Forgive me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And then I, I love that David put this in there, and, and it, he, he actually had quite a bit to say about it. When you have sin in your life and you won't confess it, you can't worship. You can't worship God. And right there it is. You can't worship God. See, we think we can live any way we want to during the week and then come in on Sunday morning and pop our hands up. You can do that. But you know when it's right and when it isn't right. You know when it's real and it isn't real. You know when you're connecting and you're not connecting. Look what David says. David says in verse 14, And my tongue, Lord, when you forgive me of my sin, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness because I haven't been able to. I tried to sing, God. You know, I play the harp. You know, God. David had an electric harp. It was awesome. David, 
They would go, I try to play the harp, I try, I've tried to sing, I've tried to worship you, and then when all of your children would gather and we would sing, I would try to sing, but I couldn't sing. He said, but Lord, if you'll forgive me of my sins, he said, then my tongue will let go of the roof of my mouth and I'll be able to sing. Are y'all with me out there? Do y'all see the power of sin? Do you see what it takes away from you? Look at verse 15. Lord, if you'll forgive me of my sin, oh Lord, you will open my lips and my mouth will show forth what? Your praises. Verse 16. Because God, you know what? Until I get my sin taken care of, you don't desire a sacrifice from me. You don't, de- you don't desire a burnt offering. See, that's how they did it in the Old Testament, and that was worship. You don't, desire, you don't desire a burnt offering from me. You don't desire some sacrifice. You don't desire me to go through some spiritual ritual if I've got hidden sin in my life. You won't receive that from me. He said, you don't desire sacrifice because if all you wanted was sacrifice, I would give it. As a matter of fact, I've tried to give it. You do not delight in my burnt offerings anymore. When I was in my sin, you did not delight in my burnt offerings. You did not delight in my worship. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That's what God wants. Boom. What God wants when you've got sin in your life is brokenness. What does God want from me when i got sin in my brokenness? Tears, sorrow. You say, well, I don't cry. Well, cry on the inside. Weep before God and come to him with a, this is what God welcomes. This is what God receives. This is what God accepts. When we come to him with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, he receives it. Look what it says in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you do not despise. In other words, these are the things you love. These are the things you want. So how did David get right with God? Because it's really important that we not understand, understand we're in sin. We've got to know how to get right with God. So let me give you that real, real quick because I, I know what time it is. How did David reconcile with God and receive cleansing from his sin? Number one, he cried out for God and trusted in God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. Verse 1 says, look at this cry. Here's how you repent. You don't know how to repent. Here's how you do it. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, we're in Psalm 51 still, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Not according to man's ability to love me, but based on your love, your loving kindness. Forgive me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Lord, blot out my transgressions. And the second thing I love David did, he owned his sin. He wasn't pointing and saying, you know, I was under a lot of pressure you know, people haven't been treating me right. You know, God, somebody did me wrong. That's why I did what? Stop all that. Own, just own it. Just own it. Look what he says. He says in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions. He didn't point at anybody. He didn't blame anybody. He didn't judge anybody else. He didn't try to come up with excuses. He said, I own it. It's mine. And then the last thing he did was he acknowledged that all sin, really, ultimately, every sin we do, if you gossip or commit adultery, it's ultimately not against the person you did that sin with or against. Ultimately, all sin is against God Almighty. He said in verse 4, against you. Did he sin against Israel? 
Yes. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Yes. Did he sin against Uriah? Yes. Did he sin against his spouse and his family? Yes. His children? Yes. But he says, Lord, ultimately, my sin was against you and you alone have I sinned. When you get a heart like that, when you get real in front of God like that, and you don't have to do that publicly. When you get real with God and you own it and you put it out there and you own it and you say, you know, no matter what anybody did to me or whatever, God, I, I've done some wrong things. I want to just say it. I want to confess it. I want to speak it. I'm telling you right now, God looks at that and will forgive it and cleanse it. So what I want you to take away from this series, two things. The high cost of low living. You choose to live low, you're going to pay a high price. And I want you to take away that there's mercy in God and forgiveness in God. There's a way back. The Bible says, and I won't read it, I've got it here in front of me, but I won't read it. Samson went to a big celebration of the Philistines. They thought they had won. And there was a little boy standing there, and Samson said, young man, take me to the pillars that hold up this whole building. And they said, hey, bring Samson down here. We can get him to do some tricks for us. And the little boy brought Samson to the main pillars that held up the, held up the building. And here's, and here's what the Bible said. The Bible said they didn't realize that his hair had grown back. See, there's a way back. And Samson said this to God. And, and just understand, he didn't have to die like this. This isn't how God wanted him to die. But because of his sin, this is how he died. He said, Lord, remember me one more time. And God remembered him and forgave his sins. And he pushed those pillars away that they would not support the building. And the Bible says there was more victory in his death against the Philistines than in all of his life previously. If he had done what God wanted him to do from the beginning, he would have died the life of a Bible hero. But he didn't because he wouldn't deal with the sin in his life. Let's bow our head.